0: Welcome to the Flawed and Fearless podcast, where we don't just acknowledge flaws, we turn them into badges of resilience and symbols of growth. So, whether you're tuning in for wisdom, inspiration, a few laughs, or just a comforting virtual hug, you're in the right place. Because here, we're not just a podcast, we're a family, a community of imperfectly perfect individuals navigating life's uncharted territories together.
1: Hey, I'm Sarah. Along with Sammy, we're going to be learning about the Perfectly Flawed Productions organization as a whole, with a very special guest. To give a little background into who you know we are before we jump into that convo, just want to give some background. I've been involved with PFP, Perfectly Flawed Productions, for I think just a few months now, really. Discovered it through some online peer support spaces, doing some, some group facilitation there. And we can always dive deeper into that, into the peer support stuff on a different episode. But anyway, PFP, I've found it super supportive. There's like a huge... Friendly group of people, and you know i'm I'm happy to call some people I've met here some friends, and it's really helped me create a space that's reliable and it's like my first time having like a community that feels like it's taking a break from the rest of life. I guess it's like a nice space to breathe, which is interesting. put that on a vision board this year, so space to breathe anyway, Sammy, what about you? How long have you been involved and and what do you like about it so I don't
0: know exactly when I got involved, but I believe it was May of 2023. And I also found it through support spaces. I tried to look up when I started by going through me and Jamie's messages. Let me tell you, that took a while because me and Jamie are very inseparable. So that was quite the adventure. There was a lot of scrolling involved, like for for a while. I don't think I ever plan to be as involved as I am. I kind of just started poking about. I knew Jamie a bit and was like, you're doing things and it's cool and you're cool. And I kind of want to hang out with you. And it just kind of happened. And me and Jamie got really close. We clicked and then she was like, hey, do you want to be my assistant? And I was like, yeah, I feel like I kind of already am. And it just happened. And here we are a little less than a year later. Thriving and making a podcast. So, I just want to do a little bit of an intro to what PFP is. This is pulled from the website, so it is very officially official. Perfectly Flawed Productions is a collaborative nonprofit organization which seeks to help people unlock their creative self expression and rebuild our community to create opportunity, resources, access, support, bridges, and platforms. As a grassroots-type initiative, PFP seeks to engage with the community to encourage new artists to emerge, while maintaining a keen and clear view on the ideology of art as a conduit to healing and learning as an individual, as a society, and as a planet. Built on a sociocratic model, yes, we will be talking about this later, perfectly flawed infrastructure and practices ensure that the organization belongs to the community and works primarily to serve its present needs. In adopting this model, PFP also seeks to promote and foster collaborative forms of governance everywhere, which function on a core value of equality. Perfectly Flawed believes and manifests that with these goals and values, together we can turn things around and build the society we are in desperate need of. So today we are going to be talking with Jamie Hibbard. She is the Executive Director and Founder of Perfectly Flawed Productions. Jamie is a creator, a teacher, a kick-ass mom, an incredibly dear friend of mine, but I'll let her tell you that yourself. Get ready to delve into the
2: mind of our fearless leader, Jamie. Hi, Jamie. I want to just say that I don't have many memories of, like, an initial friendship starting, but I don't think I'm ever going to forget Sammy saying to me, like, I feel like I just, like, want to be friends with you. And I was like, okay, so let's be friends. Like, that literally was how it went, like. That, that did happen. I was just like, you're so cool.
0: Let's be friends.
2: Like, all right, let's do it. Cool.
0: So let's, yeah, I'm men. Wow. So, Jamie, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you
2: grow up? Oh, my gosh. That's a lot of information. So how do I... How do I give you the short and skinny of it? I grew up in a small farming town in Massachusetts. And it has since turned into quite the suburban town. It is not so rural and country anymore. But I grew up on a farm and horse farm to be specific. I grew up in being raised in my indigenous culture and mixed race, both Inu, which is Northern Quebec tribes. And whole montage of white things, Irish, Scottish, that kind of thing, French, because, you know, they invaded my people up north. So that all worked out. But I was raised within my culture, not just my blood family, but adoptive intertribal family clan. So I had a big big bearing on who I became as a person growing up. Yeah, it was out out in the woods with my horses or, you know, up at powwow, or up in my tree hiding from the world. That that was a thing, very much so. That that's been early years in a nutshell. I
1: don't know. <laughs> so what are some of the things that you experienced growing up that still stick with you today? And in what ways do they stick with you? Like what how does that how does that function in your current life? We're just diving right into the deep end. God damn. Like, do we need a lifeguard? The deep yeah. end Judy. I have
2: had so many friggin' experiences. My life has been wild. I think if I can give one of something that's a little bit more, I don't know, profound, I guess, for lack of a better word. Going out on the road with my dad. My dad was a long-haul truck driver for over 40 years, turned a couple million miles, crossed back and forth across this country. He knew the whole map, the entire road atlas, like the back of his hand. It was wild. Like you could name two random cities in America and he could tell you exactly how to get there, which roads take, how many miles it'll take, like where to stop for fuel, like the whole nine. It was, it was incredible. I got to go out on the road with him a few times, like during summer vacation stuff and see the country, see this whole nation from a totally different lens than most people do, you know, literally driving through states. Stopping, you know, a couple times a day, staying in random locations because that's where we're at. You know, he was awesome in that he would intentionally get his dispatch to, to schedule loads that would go to particular areas so that way we could go do things like visit different national parks and monuments and theme parks. And it was just it was a really beautiful time for for him and I to bond because we didn't, I never got to like live with him. Not a good situation between my parents, but it was wonderful getting to go out there on the road with him. And it gave me an early on appreciation of just, first of all, how large and expansive this country is and just how diverse it is from one spot to the next, like just And I I mean with people, with environment, ecology, like everything, everything is just so incredibly different. And it's all at the same time, part of this one place that is just larger than I think most of us really understand until we start exploring it and realize like just how much is a thousand miles. You know just how big is New York or Texas or even Pennsylvania, like you don't realize until you start driving across these states and you're like, "Oh my gosh, this is this is enormous, especially when you come from New England, this small area of the country made up of you know half a dozen states like that I think has just traveled with me for so long, and it's stuck with me because. It's very much shaped my love for a larger community and seeing just how important things are with the interdependence and interconnections. So his job was literally transporting things that people needed. You know, it was important. And he also gave me a deep respect for people in labor positions, people who work hard to keep this country moving, not just you know, truckers, but anybody who's working, you know, what we call blue collar work that is so essential. So yeah, I I think that's the best answer I could give right now for that. There's so many other things.
0: I have had the honor of getting to know you as both a friend and a mom. And I have to say you have raised an amazing kiddo. How has your experience being a mom shaped how you view things, and
2: how has it influenced you in the creation of PFP? There's a big question, huh? Well, I gotta say, to kind of flip your question in the opposite direction, like, which part first, creating something like Perfectly Flood has very much been almost the same thing as bringing a child into the world and being a parent. There's, there's very much the, you know, that spark of passion that plants the seed, right? And brings this new life and energy to this, this thought and creates this, this new energy, right? And then you keep talking about it and keep building it and you just germinate and, and incubate and you know, then you bring it out into the light of day, and you make it a, a thing that other people can share. And then, you know, in this case, the way that we've structured thing, it very much is its own living entity. And I get to just be the mom that sits here and, and helps guide and nurture and and defend and you know do those things while witnessing what this amazing being is growing into of its own design if there is anything i i really i don't know that i learned from parenthood but i really came to better respect i guess is that the the trueness of autonomy and what that really means and how we grant that to people when we begin granting it to people when we support others in Finding their own voices and expressing themselves, rather than just telling them what to think and feel. And I don't know. I think a lot of my parenting style has come from reflecting on my experiences as a child and what it was that I was looking for at the time, what it was I wanted versus what I got, and and how those those things aligned, and how that made me feel or or react or whatnot, and then what is it my child is expressing that they need? Whether or not we're speaking their language, kids are phenomenal at communicating their needs. They really are. It's just up to us to learn their language first to be able to understand what it is they're communicating and then help learn teach them how to communicate as they grow. You know, so it was a lot of listening, a lot of like, yeah, let's play, let's explore. And you do need to brush your teeth, okay? but. A lot of listening and like, oh, what do you want to do? Oh, you want to color? All right, let's do it. Like, and that, that's very much been my approach with, with Perfectly Slawed. Like, all right, guys, we've got the materials. What do you want to do with it? I love being somebody who just can give that support and that love and that space for others to, you know, find their way of thriving and be who they want me to be. I think the world is sorely lacking in that. That was a big answer. I'm sorry. You ask big questions,
1: you're going to get long answers. I'm sorry. That's just what happens. I'm with you. And you've covered a lot of ground already in your answers. That kind of makes me take my questions in a slightly different direction. So whether that's kind of expanding on things you've already said or not, like having a kid, having a life in general, and then like building up an organization, a community, a business, all this takes a ton of energy, takes a ton of passion takes a ton of focus and discipline. Curious, you know, because those are hard things to hold for anyone. Any one of those things is a hard thing for any one person to hold. (laughs) And you are holding many. So I'm curious, what is motivating you to take on all of this work? I think a lot of folks who
2: are kind of tuning into what we're doing can probably relate to this idea that oh of what it means to be an empath or a sensitive, somebody who, when people around you are experiencing pain or something's wrong, you feel it too. I've been that way my whole life. I came into this world knowing I was here for a fight, not to fight, but for a fight. Like I, I knew that's what I was here for. You know, so I think I was already prepared to put in the work from a young age. Like, all right, look, I'm I am here for, I I guess, a war. I don't know. I'm looking around. I don't see anything flying around. It seems pretty calm here, but I I guess it's what I'm here for. we will find it. Five year olds, I don't think are supposed to think like that. But I did. It was that's real true story, you know, but it's it's every time someone says something to me, whether it's my kid asking for something i can't afford or you know somebody talking about having a tough time paying a bill or someone wishing that they could just take a break and and not have to worry about things just anything that is just like showing the the extraordinary amount of stress and pressure and depression that we're all under and how everyone is just stuck in survival and barely doing it. Every single little time that happens, it's like pouring fuel on my, like just directly into the heart of my fire. I can't explain it. Somebody, I had been, I don't wanna say convinced, but it had been suggested to me that I, I, you know, try to apply for disability due to brain injury and a couple other things. and. The suggestion actually came from one of my providers, so I reluctantly agreed and said, all right, fine, we'll do, it. we'll see what happens. I mean, I know everybody gets pretty much denied the first time around and you got to appeal it like one to five billion times before you get approved. So I was, I was prepared for that. Like mentally, I was prepared for that, but this was, it took almost two years to get that first rejection. And by the time it came, Number one, I had already been diving deep into perfectly flawed. I had already changed my focus. And number two, when the rejection came, I was just like, this is just, it it literally just, like someone took a can of gasoline and threw it in the fire pit. I was like, I just got to work harder. I just need to work harder because like I'm struggling, everyone around me is struggling, and." I'm sick of watching everybody struggle. I, I want people to thrive. There's no need for this. There's just no need for this. But yeah, every day my heart breaks and every day that break just, it just ignites things hotter and, and it's every reason I get up, you know? Yeah, I wanna make a much better life for my child. I wanna create every opportunity I can for my child in a way that I never had. I don't want to just do it for my kid. I want to do it for everybody's kid. I want to do it for the people around me that, that want that. That have been fighting for that and haven't known how to fight for that.
1: Cool. Fierce nurture. I tell people I love heart. So soulful comes to mind as you describe that. And talking about how, you know, you've always known it since you were young. You've always felt this. And five-year-olds aren't supposed to feel this way, or usually don't, and that's because they're not busy reflecting on their souls. You know, they just got here, so they're like, "What? A, where are? This is fun. Everyone's oh wow. Everyone brings me everything I need. Per- perfect. Yeah, no, you sound very in touch with with like your soul path, your soul contract, like anything like that. Just like your purpose, like why you're here. So, I love that. That's cool do you have like a vision for how things are going to be or, you know, what you're trying, like what, what will it look like in 10 years, 20 years, a hundred years? What's your vision? I can't wait to find out.
2: How's that for an answer? (laughs) You know, that's, that's, I think my favorite part about all of this that we're doing is that It is so squarely in the hands of the community that, like, I've got ideas. I've got things that I'd like to do because, like, they're they're meaningful things to me. But, like, realistically, it's not just me. It's everybody. So I have no idea what we're going to be doing. I don't know where it's going to go. Extraordinarily overarching, though. I would love to see this become an organization rivals. The lar- largest organizations we know in this country. I would like to see this organization be one that sets a new standard that really helps to affect change at the ground level in new ways that, that we don't necessarily put a whole lot of thought into or don't feel like we've got the authority to. Ultimately, I, I want to create a place where people at large the general population the average human being you meet anyone you know genuinely feels empowered and genuinely feels a part of the world and then society and like there's they belong here and their voice is not dismissed their existence isn't dismissed like it's actually an imperative piece of our our makeup yeah the largest union ever, I guess, just without the dues.
1: You know, it makes a lot of sense of kind of, you know, what I've learned about PFP and kind of creating what, what the world needs. I mean, it's an act of creation. It's a process of creation. What hasn't existed before, that's the goal, right? Kind of like it's just, it, who knows what the vision is because we've not had this before. And that's kind of where we're all turning towards is is creating something new that serves everyone better. And yeah, your your method of kind of waiting to find out and being excited to find out, I think is spot on. I actually just listened to an audiobook called The, the Creative Act, I think is what it's called, Rick Rubin. And there, you know, he talks through like ideal ways to be creative and create things and just how does one create? How does one stay creative and not locked in? And one of the lessons was to not have an end goal, because if you have an end goal, your pathway is not creating you're doing so if you know the best way to create something is to do it one step at a time and you'll know when you're done so that's beautiful i love that that's very much how i i
2: approach all of my creative and art projects is there there comes a point almost every single time i'm making you know sculpture painting whatever visual art where I I have to start repeating the mantra to myself, trust the process, trust the process, because what I'm looking at in front of me is mm-hmm. nothing even close to what I'm trying to create or what like the idea was. And it's, I mean, it looks horrible. If anyone saw this right now, I'd be frigging embarrassed. But trust the process. You know what's happening here. This is the transitional phase of something going from the, these ingredients to making that final product. So you just got to trust it, let it happen. and inevitably you always get to a point where it's like there it is all right cool awesome so what
0: are some life lessons you've learned during the process of birthing this
2: organization life lessons I've learned from from starting this yeah don't ever tell yourself you can't do something just just don't just don't like like honestly the question should always be do I want to do this or not? Not can I do this? Not I can't do that or I've never done that. Just do I want to? Plain and simple because I, I think we hold ourselves back so much by saying I can't do that. I've never done that. I wouldn't be comfortable doing that. All those things where like, realistically, if you give it a whirl because you want to, you, you might just actually surprise yourself. And that, that lesson, I mean, it came up in a few different ways for me, but the pr- most prominent one was definitely the website. When we got started, I mean, I, I <laughs> told people for years that I'm a broken millennial. And so we started perfectly thought, and it was like, okay, we're doing something that is primarily on the internet. Like, we need a website. We need a website that is an absolute necessity. That is actually the, the face of our organization. It has to exist. Problem is, is that nobody in our, immediate founding members had any knowledge or experience whatsoever in building a website this i mean we had folks that were you know gen x and boomers and even a little bit older than that and and everyone's going i don't know we need to find some kids it was horrible you know and the whole time I'm going, we need to find somebody for the website. We need to find somebody because I can't do it. I can't do it. Like, I don't, I'm, I'm not technology savvy. Like I can, I can use Microsoft Office. Okay. I've been doing that since it came out. I, I told myself for months that I could not do this and we needed someone else to do it. And as time went on, it just got more and more pressing. So it was finally I was just like, you know what? Dude, I'm doing it. We're, let's do it. Sammy, let's do it. Let's figure it out. And Sammy had asked a couple of questions from some people within her own networks and we found the right hosting site to work from. Shout out to Squarespace. And lo and behold, I have shocked and amazed myself in building this beautiful website that seems to be well appreciated by the folks who use it. I've had people tell me that visiting our website literally makes them feel like They actually know how to use the internet when there's someone like me who's like, I get lost. I open a friggin' web page and I have no idea what to do. So that's been important to me with it, that it's accessible and it works. And I started off going, I can't do that. So yeah, greatest lesson there. Don't tell yourself you can't. Ask yourself if you want to.
0: What was your relationship with conflict growing up and how has it impacted your relationship with it today?
2: Oh man, that's a very interesting question because I very much grew up in a household where there was no such thing as conflict resolution. There was conflict and then it ended and then there was move on with life. There was no figuring it out, working forward and, and fixing the issue coming to some sort of resolution together in any way. Whereas, again, dad was out on the road, so I would see him when he would come into town and stuff and get to spend periods of time with him. And I don't know. I think I I got a lot of early on social skills from him when, in those regards because he'd come into town and, you know, we'd go get something to eat and he would be like, so what's going on? Talk to me. And we'd start chatting and I'm filling them in on what's been going on since last time he was here. Things I hadn't gotten to talk to him about on the phone because there's just a little too much to be, you know, whatever. There were come points where like, obviously I'm a kid, so and pissed off about things. I mean, I, I came to the world looking for the war, so I was already already having feels pretty quickly about about things and he would listen he just listen he let me talk and say whatever I needed to whatever I wanted to and oftentimes he would empathize with it and then he would also do that saying that sometimes irritates people of throwing out other perspectives you know or not necessarily saying hey don't be mad about that but you know okay well Maybe it's not worth being that mad about. I mean, look at look at it from this way. You know? Or, you know, it just just really helped to shape that. You don't have to always look at everything through the, that one lens. Like I said, he he was always killing with kindness. So there was that, I don't know embedding this idea that like everyone comes from their own shit and it's what's coming at you is them not it's what's their own internal stuff it really doesn't have a whole lot to do with you and the only person you've got control over is you so when you can back up and take yourself out of things it's a lot easier to see what's actually happening there and i don't know i think that plus i have a bit of a superpower i call it part of my neurodivergency is that i I have this uncanny ability to see things from a multitude of perspectives at once, completely objectively, like literally removing myself from it. So I think combining that with that early on influence plus a whole lot of learning from between there and here, that's really what's I think formed that and, and shaped my ability to Come at things more objectively and, you know, giving value to everything that's being brought into this and not saying, okay, there's right and wrong. Like, no, not usually. Usually there's a lot more nuance to a situation that needs to be considered. So, yeah, that's the, the rounded answer, I guess. Awesome. I feel like
0: you're really good at conflict and that type of thing, especially seeing you and Sarah doing it in a healthy way
2: I love being able to have healthy conflict and dialogue with another person from opposing perspectives or differing lenses because like that is an opportunity to learn so much from one another not even necessarily about each other but from one another Because yes, I can remove myself and see from like all kinds of perspectives, but there's always ones that I haven't yet considered. And I love it when somebody can bring that to me and say, you know what? I'm challenging what you're saying, what you're doing because of check this thing out. I love that. And I love when that can be reciprocated in a way that the other person can also take in what I'm saying and, and weigh and consider it and respond and and have that back and forth it's funny to me because in theory i really enjoy conflict
0: in theory i'll be like i love conflict because it helps build relationships and makes them closer because you know when you break your bone and then it heals it's stronger but in reality angry voices scare me which is totally a trauma thing but i feel like arguments get heated even respectful arguments and like respectful conflict is still have voices that like maybe sound angry even though like they're not necessarily angry so then I kind of panic and I'm like oh no we're fighting and then I feel like I need to pick a side and it's it's really not a great situation but I think watching you and Sarah in this situation have healthy conflict and being able to have conflict and then the next day being like hey we came to this conclusion like and I was like oh, okay. Yesterday I thought none of us were ever speaking to each other again, but I'm really glad y'all are, you're good. I was really, yeah. So I feel like that's something I definitely need to learn more about. Jamie, you can, you can be my mentor. Maybe I'll sign up for that under our mentorship. Things, conflict, because it's scary. Like if we could disagree in like really calm voices, I think I would be all right with it with like no aggressive undertones. But I feel like that's not possible. So you had three seizures? Yes. Yes. Okay. I never, I always forget if it was two or three at the same time. How did that impact your drive to create Perfectly Flawed, if at all? And do you think you look at it? I don't remember if you told me if the idea had come before or after, but if you had had the idea before and you do have like, Memory of it? Did the way you looked at it change at all? And if so, how?
2: December of 2020, actually my 35th birthday, because the universe likes to do awesome things on my birthday to me every friggin' year. I was up in Maine visiting some friends. On my actual birthday that night, I had a tonic clonic seizure that lasted somewhere around 20 minutes. I have no memory of it. I have no memory of the entire trip, honestly. The next morning, the person I was, I was staying with was telling me about this event. Like, well, I, like, I didn't remember any of it and they were just really kind of blown away. Like, yeah, this is what happened. And from what I've been told, I kind of was just like, oh, that's nice. And I got in my truck and drove two miles inland during a blizzard not a snowstorm okay an actual blizzard this is this is what happens when brains get injured okay you don't you're not yourself for a minute at least that's what happened with me i was not myself drove to my other friend's house who i was planning to visit while i was there that night the very next night had another seizure another tonic that was over 20 minutes This friend was a little bit better with knowing how to handle an emergency situation and you just time things. But we were in the middle of nowhere, Maine, nowhere near medical help or anything, and also blizzard. So I don't know exactly how long it took to get to medical help, if I was able to get to a clinic that night or if it was the next day. I am fuzzy on the details, what I've been told versus doctor's notes don't necessarily match. But within The next 24 hours from that point, I had a third one. And it was another, again, over 20 minutes. Family came to have to rescue me from from Maine. My kid is a phenomenal superhero and a rock star who put up with my off-the-walls ridiculousness. I mean, like, being a belligerent teenager-type kind of behavior, just not not at all there correctly and that amazing kid of mine was like we need to shut up and get in the car like enough (laughs) yeah i got through that and following a couple of months i really wasn't myself at all i was in this weird kind of i don't know how to explain it other than it was like being in this strange state of mind that is not fully your present self but also not really here it, it was really weird, and it's really hard to explain. But it, all I can say is that it was not me. And it took a while to start coming out of that and start seeing doctors. I very quickly had to come to terms with the fact that I, I now, really definitely do have brain injury. And as I started to learn that, I started to understand that I've had brain injury for a long time, long, long time. It started with horseback riding when I was younger. You know, I can't tell you how many times I flew off the back of and. I had was really good at finding the only damn rock in the area. I don't know what that was about, but it was really frustrating. I broke a lot of helmets, like a lot. Most, a couple of them we kept in the barn to show kids as to why we wear helmets. So that way they were like guaranteed to wear theirs. Yeah. But yeah, I had I had to come to terms with this new reality that my brain is injured. I've lost a lot of memory, a lot of which has still not come back. and And things are just different now in a whole new way, in a way that I could not anticipate, in a way that honestly pissed me off at first. You know, as a smaller female in this world who has survived trauma, who has been, you know, assaulted, one thing I I always said was, you know what, no matter what, one thing no one can take away from me is my intelligence. I am smart. I am sharp. I, you know, no matter what, I've got that. No one can take that away from me. And then my brain tried to self-destruct and took a lot of that away from me. And it was devastating and infuriating and also terrifying. As it very quickly comes to terms with the fact that I can't trust my own brain anymore. Because I don't know how much memory I've lost because you can't. Also a scary realization. But I also had a teenager and I was a single mom. And I need to figure out how to move forward. I need to figure it out fast in the middle of a pandemic that we're surely going to come to an end with all the support we're getting from that. And our our system isn't set up to support somebody like me. It's not. It's not designed to to give any sort of assistance that makes sense or that would actually help me to get up and get on my feet. So the realization of perfectly flawed as an organization actually resulted from the seizures if I'm being really honest about how that trajectory went I spent the first year of recovery just doing that recovering making art relearning stuff relearning myself starting to connect with other brain injury survivors that kind of thing January after the injuries like you a year and a month later, I fell in my driveway and broke my wrist, my right wrist at that. It's, if anyone knows what it's like to be have your dominant hand disabled for a few months. It is very, very, very obnoxious. And I do not recommend. It's a terrible time, but it, it made me stop again. Put me in another space of okay, slow down. Can't do things right now, including brush my own damn hair. It was very frustrating. And I, I, this was the first time I kind of came back to my computer, came back to the internet. I had literally taken an internet and social media hiatus since 2017, but I came back because I needed something to do. I needed to connect and I couldn't just sit in my bed and stare out the window and rage cry for days on end. So it was then that I, I started scrolling, I found a workshop from Assets for Artists, which is an awesome project program, I don't even know what to call it, that is an offshoot of Mass MoCA, which is a Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art. They're super cool. Check them out. Awesome. I like the things they do for artists, for up-and-coming artists, for minorities, people that have, you know, come from rough situations, like this is an amazing organization. They routinely do free virtual workshops, usually, geographically specific so that way they can kind of control the room size but all these workshops were about bettering yourself as a business person who is an artist which fascinated me because those two things don't get put together in our, our spheres of education you either go to art school or business school you don't go to both so to have this organization that's like, no, we want to support you as an artist, but we want to support you in actually being a sustainable artist. We want to show you how to do this stuff. No one taught you how to do because you decided you were an artist. And I, I met some amazing instructors, made incredible bonds with some people there. Some of which are or even with Fernley Flood now. Bill, shout out, you know, and. There was one particular workshop which was called Planning for the Future During Times of Uncertainty. If that doesn't sound like a workshop, everybody in the world means I don't know what does. And especially coming at that, that topic through the lens of business planning for an artist during uncertain times, what is happening. And when you look at it through that lens, it was like, Oh my god, I need this. I I need, tell me how to do this. You got the formula? Oh my god, give me. It was amazing. Amazing. It's, it was a two-part workshop. The instructor was phenomenal and she was probably the first person who reached me on my level with my new brain injury. She was able to translate what the information was to a form that made sense to my brain and she reminded me that being an artist means bringing your creativity into everything that you do not just the art you're creating so i was like oh my god she's so right i need to be applying this process to everything i do the the way that i create my creative process is something i can use with every part of my life it was through that workshop that the pieces of perfectly flawed started to come into view. And it was probably within a few months of that workshop that I had really written out a mission statement of some kind. I was like, that's it. Okay. And it it took that long because I'm not kidding you trying to take uh, you know what we're doing here you know how big this thing is like trying to take the huge scope of this idea and narrow it down into like a couple sentences i had pages of things written i was like what do i take out are you hitting how do i yeah it took a minute but it it came from this place of wanting to be able to create a space where people could be able bodied or disabled brain injured Be able to have, you know, one hour a week where they want to be able to do something that makes some money. But, you know, nobody does that. Nobody hires people to work one hour a week. You know, nobody, all these things that, that hold people back, just creating something that unites us all and says, hey, you don't have to do all that work. You can just do what you're capable of. That's fine. And we're going to honor and value that for what that's actually worth. Because it's important, you know? Okay, to pivot us to PFP-centric things, Jamie, what is sociocracy? And can you break that down for us? So what it is, is it's a peer governance system that is very much based on equity and inclusion. So what this means is rather than a typical top down hierarchy structure where you know I am the executive director and in typical organizations you might see like there would be people then below me and then they would manage people below them and so on and so forth until you get you know to your day to day people that are interacting as as you know the face of the organization instead what we have is we call them councils in sociocracy in general. If you look at, I believe it's sociocracyforall.org is a really good resource website to get some more in-depth information about what I'm talking about, but, or our website, we also have a page that's got a bunch of their info on there for you. So it's a little easy to go through. These, these councils, as we call them, they call them circles. The idea there is that each one has its own domain of authority, if you will. Like we have a business council this Council handles all of the aspects of business for our, our organization, business planning, treasury, record keeping, all that kind of stuff. Then we have our art and community council. they handle all of our our engagement stuff. how are we actually interacting with the world? What are we doing? right? And then we have Voice Council, which is, as one of our leaders over there calls it like a think tank space where we come in and we, we share ideas and we talk about them, we develop ideas until we're ready to put them into action. And there's, you know, a few others, but the idea there is that we have these different groups that are semi-autonomous, right? They work together, they're linked together, but they are able to make their own decisions and work with what their domain is. So we can have our community council working on a project like this podcast and say, all right, We've got everything we need. We don't really need any outside help. We've got this and we can within council green light it to go. Now, if we're trying to start this podcast and we need funding for it, you know, we start needing money to pay for pieces and parts of it, then we'd say, All right, Art and Community Council has given us the green light. We're ready to go, but we're going to go to business council and see if we can figure out the funding part. So we work together but we're able to make choices within these spaces so that way things move quickly. But everyone's also given this opportunity to be a part of the process. All of our council meetings are open. They're publicly open. Anyone can drop in and come be a part of the conversation. So it's very much gives the the organization a way to belong to the community. My job is as a a guide and an ambassador and a steward. I'm I'm here to to just help and be a voice and not tell anyone what to do. And that's very much the the culture that this this system of sociocracy fosters is, you know, we're all working collaboratively together and, you know, no one has end all authority. No one can make unilateral decisions. And more than that, our board of directors serves as an advisory board, not as an authority, which is also quite different from a lot of other structures of, of governance within organizations, you know, but that the whole point is to make sure that power is decentralized. And it is at the end of the day, our community genuinely guiding, steering, and deciding everything that we do with full transparency there was always this drive of wanting to make sure no matter what our our community had the power our community has the authority and and you know that their voices are genuinely not just heard but validated and and utilized so there was there was definitely a lot of okay how do we how do we do this You know, I can tell you that from the beginning there was how do we not have a board of directors? How do we not do that? You know, very typically, what you'll see with with different nonprofit organizations is they'll they'll have, you know, all of their executive positions, and then there's this board of directors, and they essentially are making all the decisions for the whole organization without being involved in the day to day. Oftentimes, these people are large donors. So the organization, funders, what ends up happening is their ideals, their motives, become the driving force in the organization rather than the people the organization is serving. So how do we prevent that from happening? And then when you find out, you learn that, well, you can't have a nonprofit without a board of directors. For some reason, that's the law. Okay, cool. Then we need to find some sort of a structure, some sort of system that allows us to rein in the power and influence of a board of directors. Like, all right, we can have one, but how do we make sure it's structured in a way that works for us? It was wild because like when I first started creating this idea and and putting it together and, and talking to others about it, I didn't have the words for it yet. I didn't have the language for it yet. I just could kind of, I could see it and I was, I was expressing it. And then I was having such a hard time, like naming it. And I was actually talking to somebody at the lawyer's clearinghouse and she said this word to me. She was like, yeah, you should check this out. Cause that sounds like what you're trying to do. And I, I literally, I opened a page and started reading it. I was like, oh my God, that's literally what I've been talking about. That's it right there. Okay, now we've got words. Now we've got, you know, even even more to that, a little bit of, I guess, validation in that it's it wasn't just my wild idea of how to create a structure, but like it's, it's actually been done. This system that was created in the Netherlands by a really cool dude that had some really great ideas and it has been utilized throughout the country there. I'm pretty sure it's like actually their form of government for their country at this point. But yeah, it just, it, it gave it some credence that like, yeah, this this could work for us and we just have to believe in it and and just start, just adopt the model and build it from there. I don't know if there was ever necessarily alternative considerations in terms of structure. I think it was just trying to figure out what it is we're trying to like, there was an idea what it was, we wanted it to look like, but defining it was the harder part. It's so individualized, right? Because we're trying to cover such a large scope of, you know, a fully realized community that everyone has different needs right now. I think if anything, it's just that it's, it's community. I think especially coming out of a pandemic. And I, I mean that in the sense of the isolation. Of the pandemic not the ending of the virus but just that shift in the way we were living coming out of that forced isolation i've been hearing a lot of people saying you know that they they don't know necessarily how to socialize anymore they don't know where to reconnect or how to come back to you know this interactions that we were forced to separate for a few years so i think if anything it's just you know this is a safe place to come try on socialization again this is a you know, a place to come talk about the weird ideas of projects you wanted to do, you know, you know, is there, is there a subject that you feel passionately about that falls under the realm of activism where, you know, I would like to see this thing better. Like, this is a place to come talk about it. You know, I've, I've heard a, a few people say that this is a space to them that is a le- let them feel like they could just breathe. And that to me, I, I think that probably means more to me than anything. Because that speaks to safety and comfort and relief, you know. So I think that that's that's about what I would say. Really, is that it's a place to just come be, you know. And so long as you're not being hurtful to other people and you're, you know, willing to to grow and learn from each other, the way we do, you know, you're you're gonna be accepted. And this is a place for you to just. Let your hair down a little bit.
0: Thank y'all for joining us. I'm going to go rein in these two kiddos here. But have a wonderful rest of your day. And thank you so much for listening to our inaugural podcast episode.
1: And we will see you soon. Bye. Fare thee well.